Good to see you this morning. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, boys and girls, uh, ages four years old through kindergarten, you may go to Children's Church. Also today, we have Junior Church, so that is first through fourth grade, also can go. So this is the mass exodus time, all right? All you adults stay, or, uh, or we're going to put you in there with them. That'll keep you in here, won't it? All right, turning your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. You should have received an outline as you came in this morning. If you did not, if you will raise your hand, uh, one of our ushers will get you one of those here momentarily. All right, are y'all kind of like me? You just got all these little papers. We've got to find something to do with them and just put them everywhere here and stuff. So, good deal. This morning, we are continuing in our series on the book of Philemon on relationships. And, uh, you know... Relationships are important. We, uh, we had a small class in the sanctuary here this morning, wrapping up a, a class from Wednesday nights. And, and some of the things we talked about are how important it is to be a part of the body of Christ. Amen? Uh, how vital that is in our lives and how important it is for us to be connected to other believers. Uh, so, if you're here this morning, I hope, I hope that you've gotten connected with other believers here at Southside. Um, we try to provide all the different ways that we can. We have various connect groups here on Sunday morning, from, um, from babies all the way um, till, to the grave, right? We have all ages, okay? And so, uh, if you are not connected, uh, see me, Pastor Brennan, Pastor Mark, we want to help you get connected. We have connect groups during the week, some on uh, Wednesday, a couple on Wednesday night. One started this past week, another one starting this uh, next week. We have some ladies groups that meet a couple other times. It's so important and so vital for you to be connected, and relationships are just a huge part of our life. Amen? I want to start out by sharing a story about a, about a gentleman by the name of Bob Merritt. And we're going to just refer to him as Bob. Bob was the leader of a large organization. Bob felt overworked and overwhelmed and was on the verge of burnout. And because of this, it started showing in his life. It started showing up in his relationships with other people, uh, in, in harsh comments, in the way he talked to other people, in, in bursts of anger that came out towards his family and his staff. Emotionally, Bob felt depleted and afraid. But he didn't have the time nor the energy to address the issues that were bubbling under the surface of his life until finally it all came to a head. His leadership team forced him to address his issues by entering him into a year-long intervention with a leadership coach named Fred. Bob describes what happened and how this process began. 
He says, Fred and his assistant interviewed all my family members, most of my staff, and all my closest friends with a series of 60 questions that essentially asked what's good about Bob and what's bad about Bob. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me to death. Amen? How would you like for that to happen? He says, the candid responses were recorded in a 200-page document that Fred and his assistant read back to me word for word during a two-day intervention. Have to be a snoozer, amen. (laughs) For two solid days, Bob writes, he says, I sat and listened while Fred read statements like, Bob overlooks relationships and lacks interpersonal skills in working with people. Bob doesn't listen well. Bob doesn't manage his staff. There's no love. He's unapproachable. Bob speaks before he thinks. Bob has a love problem. Someone said, I know that Bob cares, but he's not gifted in showing it. Then he says, what really nailed me to the wall was when I heard these words from my son who said, my dad is angry a lot. When Fred read those words to me, Bob says, he looked up from the page and just let them sink into my soul. He said, I had to look away. Never in my life had I become so convicted over how flawed I become. When you hear the same themes, he writes, repeated over and over again from a variety of people who've experienced what it's like to be on the other side of you, it gets your attention. He says, it broke me. It changed me. And it was the beginning of my new life. Friends, the amazing thing was when the process first started, Bob wasn't even sure he could change. In fact, this leadership coach named Fred has worked with hundreds of CEO type leaders and says that the success rate for positive change in situations like this where he's called in is only about 40%. In fact, the other 60% continue to stumble, often end up losing their jobs and sometimes even their families as well. Here's the interesting part. Uh, Fred was asked, what's the difference between those who are able to turn their lives around, their relationships around, their careers around, and those who weren't? You know what he said the difference was? Their attitude. Their attitude. Here's what he said. He said, those who turn the corner, those who are able to repair the fractured relationships in their lives and those who take their leadership and lives to a new level are those who are willing to humble themselves, receive honest feedback, and make the essential changes needed in their own lives. Friends, I think that's a good lesson for us. Amen? Just like Bob and the others who are part of that success rate, friends, if we're going to take our relationships to the next level, if we're going to repair the broken relationships in our lives, if we're going to improve those relationships that are just kind of eh, then we must have the right attitude as well. Amen? We must come at it with the right attitude. You may ask, Pastor, what is that? What is the right attitude? Well, you know, we could really sum that up really simply in, in saying it's a, it's, a, it's a humble attitude. Amen? An attitude of humility. But, but what does that even mean? You know, we try to understand what humility is and how we have a humble attitude, and it's so vague. So I want to parse that out for you a little bit this morning. In our text here in Philemon, beginning in verse 8, we're going to see four components of the attitude of, of humility that we need to have in order to repair broken relationships and to build strong ones. So I want you to take your outline. Let's look at that this morning. 
Four components, beginning with number one. That's number three. Did y'all talk? Did y'all listen faster than I talked? <laughs> wow, man. I'm either, I'm just, we're telepathically uh, making this work and it's just happening. There we go. All right, there we go. Good job. Number one. I don't see, but y'all already know, right? You just kind of, y'all already know what this is. Number one, what we need is a spirit of graciousness. A spirit of graciousness. Let me kind of bring you up to speed if you haven't been here the last few weeks on where we are and, and kind of the, the context of the book of Philemon. Philemon was a, was a very rich man. He lived in the city of Coloss. And Philemon had, had gotten saved under Paul's ministry during one of his missionary journeys. Philemon had a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus had run away. He had run away all the way to the capital city of Rome, where somehow and some way he had run into the apostle Paul. Paul was in prison. We don't know exactly how that happened, but uh, however it happened, when Onesimus met Paul there in Rome, Paul did what Paul always does, right? He shared Christ with him. And uh, there was probably some previous relationship there already. But Paul had the opportunity to lead Onesimus to Christ. However, now there was a problem. Onesimus felt guilty, felt convicted uh, about uh, leaving Philemon and wanted to repair that relationship. Paul probably encouraged him and, and, and to do that. And so now Onesimus needed to go back to Philemon and apologize and ask for forgiveness. How in the world was he going to do that? Well, Paul wrote this letter what we know as the letter, the book of Philemon, to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Let's pick up here in verse 8. As we looked at uh, the first seven verses in the, in the past few weeks, let's pick up in verse 8 with what Paul has to say here. He says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, Being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. So as Paul writes to Philemon here, he says that even though he has the right as an apostle and also as Philemon's spiritual father, he has the right to command Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he's not going to do that. And instead of commanding Philemon, saying, you need to do this, Philemon, instead, what he says here, for love's sake, because he loves him, he appeals on the behalf of love to, to, to Philemon to simply do what is right, to be willing to forgive Onesimus and receive him back. You know, I think this is, this is prototypical Paul, right? Paul, Paul was a wordsmith. He knew uh, what to say and when to say it and, and how to say it. I think we can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul here. You know, friends, there are times at which it seems obvious what someone else needs to do. Amen? You know, you see a broken relationship or maybe it's a broken relationship you're in. And, and, and there are times at which it's just pretty obvious that the person either needs to forgive or they need to go to this person or they need to just let it go. Whatever it is, there are times at which things seem very obvious and we may feel like just going to them and telling them that. You need to do this. 
But in reality, strong-arming someone is very rarely the best way to handle a situation. You may want to do that. Friends, it may be the most expedient way, right? But handling a situation that way rarely results in a long-term harmonious relationship. How many of you, um, when you were a kid, used to play the, the silly little kids game? Y'all used to play mercy with your friends, okay? Some of you laugh and so forth. I don't know. I mean, you know, there are certain kids games, and it's not really a game, but a certain thing kids do and, and say that just kind of seem to last generations, right? You know, I hear my kids saying something or singing a song or whatever or, or, or doing something, playing a game outside, and man, we used to do that when I was a kid. You know, how do those things just keep going? Well, you know, if you play mercy with somebody, it's, you kind of you lock hands with them, right? And then it is simply, who's the strongest, Right? The, the, the goal is to try to bend the other person's fingers back until they cry. Mercy, right? It's simple. Now, let me ask you this. Did that silly little game ever work to promote better relationships? <laughs> Probably not, right? Usually what happens is the person who, who got beat is like, oh, give me another shot, you know, or, or, or they're making excuses as to why, you know, you, you started too early and so forth. And so it usually begins, ends in some kind of argument or something that is not helpful to the relationship, right? Well, friends, the same thing is usually true in our adult relationships as well. Strong arming someone very rarely helps a relationship. It, it, it is a lot more proficient and better to be gracious towards someone. Friends, we talked kind of about this last week. This is loving others, amen? Uh, being kind, generous, gracious to one another and loving one another. Paul could have, as he said, he said it could have commanded Philemon what to do. But instead, he says, rather, I appeal to you, Philemon, on the basis of love. Friends, if there's a problem in a relationship that you need to repair and so forth, I want to encourage you, check your attitude before you go. Amen? Check it at the door, friends. Put on a spirit of graciousness and not a haughty, prideful spirit that goes and and, and tries to strong arm somebody into the type of relationship it ought to be. Spirit of graciousness is absolutely necessary. Friends, not only do we need a spirit of graciousness in our attitude if we want to help our relationships, but second of all, we also need a desire to see both sides win. A desire to see both sides win. Now, before some of you get mad at me, I'm not saying that this should happen in sports, okay? Mark, I'm all for competition, okay? I, I'm not for participation trophies, amen, okay? Uh, I, I'm not for that. Uh, I believe sports can and should uh, teach, be used to teach kids good lessons about life. But friends, while it's okay in sports for one side to win and one side to lose, in relationships, when one person loses, the reality is both people actually lose, I want to let that sink in for with you just for a minute. When one person loses in a relationship, because a lot of times we try to get that upper hand. We, 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 we want to force people into whatever, even as parents and so forth. Listen, we always need to be looking out for our kids' best interest. We always need to look, be looking out for the other person's best interest because when one person wins and one person loses, friends, in the end, both people lose. 
want you to look at verse 10 again with me. Look what Paul says as he continues on. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Now, we talked about this just a minute ago, but uh, somehow when Onesimus got to Rome, Paul had the opportunity while he was in prison to lead Onesimus to faith in Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. That, that just changes everything. Look at what Paul says about Onesimus. Uh, continue on. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, verse 11, who once was unprofitable to you. Uh, the word there literally means useless. Why would he say that about Onesimus? Who once was useless to you, but now is useful or profitable to you and to me. Now, you may say, Pastor, what in the world's going on here? Uh, surely Onesimus heard this, right? <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Onesimus was standing there, I would imagine, as Philemon even reads this. And what Paul is doing here, friends, is he's making a play on words using Onesimus' name. Onesimus, the name Onesimus was a common name for a slave. Anybody want to guess what it meant? It meant useful. The name itself meant useful. So Paul was using a play on words here in verse 11. And what he's doing here is to refer to the transformation that has taken place in Onesimus' life. And so, uh, in essence, what Paul is saying is that Onesimus, before he knew Jesus, was useless. Okay, So useful before Jesus was actually useless. But with Jesus, Onesimus is now useful. He's talking about the transformation that's taking place in his life. And the thing he points out here is he's useful to you, Philemon, Paul says, and to me. Friends, this was Paul's way of saying that the things that happened to Onesimus, as we're going to read a little bit more here in just a few minutes, actually happened as they were good for all. This was good for Onesimus, yes, but it was good for Philemon and also good for Paul. So in his appeal, Paul is not just appealing to Philemon to forgive him as a one-sided favor. But Paul is appealing to him and saying, Philemon, if you will forgive Onesimus and receive him back, it not only be good for Onesimus, it not only will be good for him, Paul, but it would also be good for you, Philemon. You see, here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that when When the other party in a relationship wins, you win too. You win too. Friends, this, we see this play out in every, every relationship in our lives. Let me prove it to you. Friends, this is true in the home. Right, guys? Right, guys? Yes? Guys, surely you realize that you're not in competition with your wife, right? You are actually on the same team. Ladies? You're not in competition with your husband. You are on the same team. So uh, it works both ways. But guys, let me just say this. You need to seek the best for her. Amen. You need to uh, look out for her best interest. You need to always consider her better than yourself. Guys, why? Because when she wins, when mama wins, and when mama's happy, what? Everybody's happy, right? We know that. We know that. Friends, this is also true at work. It's true at work. You know, some businesses try to squeeze every dollar they can out of their customers. And they treat their customers terribly and never do anything to put the customer first. How about instead of that, 
Why not listen to your customers? Why not listen to your clients? Don't just see them as dollar signs, but work to make them happy. And friends, when your customer wins, then guess what? As a business person, you win. You know, that's what smart people realize. You stay in business because they come back. Friends, it's also true in life. You know, some people don't care if they hurt other people. You know, they just, uh, they go through life, they say what they want to say, they do what they want to do, and if you don't like it, then that's your problem, just toughen up, they could simply care less. What does Jesus tell us to do? Jesus tells us to consider others better than ourselves, to treat others the way we would want to be treated. Why? Because when they win, we win. And we all win, because heaven is more populated, amen? Amen? Friends, we need to understand that along with a spirit of graciousness, we need to have a desire to see both sides win. Not to just try to get the upper hand and for us to win, but for both sides to win. Brings us to number three. The third component, part of the attitude that we need to have, friends, and this is, this is really important. This kind of gets at the heart of of, of kind of that attitude. And it's this, a willingness to submit ourselves to one another and to make amends. I want you to look at verse 12 as we continue reading. Paul writes, he says, I am sending him back. Therefore receive him, that is my own heart. In other words, what Paul is simply saying here is, listen, my desire, my heart, he says, is that you, Philemon, receive Onesimus back, that you would forgive him, and that your relationship would be repaired and restored. Look at verse 13. He goes on, he says, Whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. So what we see a glimpse into here is that after Onesimus was saved, evidently he started uh, kind of being a servant to Paul. He ministered to Paul, and he was a great help to Paul. And Paul could have used him there to stay with him. But look at verse 14. He says, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. The apostle Paul here is expressing a pretty strong desire to have Onesimus stay with him in Rome and minister to him there. But instead of keeping him there, he decided to send Onesimus back to Philemon and to submit to whatever Philemon saw fit to do. He yielded to Philemon. Friends, one of the hardest things to do in any relationship is to submit ourselves and yield to someone else. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay. For some reason, we always want to have the upper hand. We we always want to be in control. Here's what we need to realize. In good, healthy relationships, there is a give and take. There is a back and forth. There is a willingness to let the other person have the upper hand at times. There is a willingness to submit ourselves Uh, to someone else, to submit to what they want to do. You know, what kind of a relationship is it all the time if if, if everything is just what you want to do? That's a one-sided relationship. That's right. 
So in good, healthy relationships, we need to submit ourselves to others at times. We need to let them have input, friends. As Ephesians chapter 5, 21 says, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So a lot of times people want to use that word submission and say it's just one way, friends. But scripture actually talks about the fact that submission is actually two ways. You know, this is extremely and especially important when we talk about needing to apologize or ask forgiveness from somebody else. Amen. You know, oftentimes we still want to maintain the upper hand. We still want to maintain control. But here's what we need to realize. A truly repentant heart will be willing to put ourselves at the mercy of another. Let me let me kind of explain what I mean here. Oftentimes when we are trying to apologize to somebody else, what do we say? Let me put it this way, because we don't like to admit things ourselves. When you tell one of your kids to go apologize to their brother or sister, what do they say? Sorry. Right? Sorry. Now, let me, ask, let me just ask you something. Does, does that sound very submissive? And No, not at all. Why? Because sorry is a way to continue to maintain control. When we say sorry, the other person doesn't really know what we're sorry for. In fact, we may not really be sorry that we did what we did at all. We could be, we could be saying, sorry, I got caught. <laughs> or, sorry, you feel that way. <laughs> it may not be, I'm sorry that I hurt you. You see, what's a better way to demonstrate that uh, uh, submission and putting ourselves in the mercy uh, uh, under the mercy of another's is maybe instead of just saying sorry, sorry I hurt you. Will you forgive me? That's hard to say, isn't it? It's even harder to do. You know why? Because when we ask somebody else, "Will you forgive me?" Guess what? They may say yes, and they may say no. <laughs> And so what we are doing is we're putting things in their hands. And so we lose control of the relationship, friends. But what this shows and demonstrates is when we do this, that we are a willingness to submit ourselves to the other person, a willingness to put ourselves at the mercy of another, which is needed for good relationships. You know, another way we can demonstrate a changed heart, friends, is through a willingness to make restoration or make amends. You know, maybe by simply asking, following up, will you forgive me? How can I make things right? You know, Zacchaeus did this, didn't he? When Zacchaeus got saved and and, and he uh, was up in the tree and came down and Jesus came to his house. Y'all remember that, right? You remember the song? Do I need to bring somebody up here to lead you in the song? Okay, y'all remember the song, right? Zacchaeus was a, y'all got that, right? Well, what did he do after all of that? He didn't just, he didn't just get changed and transformed. He said, I, I, he knew he had cheated people. He was a chief tax collector. And so he had cheated lots of people out of lots of money and stuff. And he says, he says, I, I'm, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to give them back fourfold. His heart change was accompanied by willingness to make restitution and to make things right. Look at verse 18. There's an interesting situation here because probably Onesimus did not have the means through which to actually pay Philemon back. So look at verse 18. Paul says, but if he has wronged you in any, has wronged you or owes anything, put that on 
my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Friends, we get the idea here that Onesimus wanted to make amends. Remember, Onesimus was standing there when Philemon read this. That was a demonstration of his repentance and his desire for a reconciled relationship, but probably was unable. So Paul offers to make amends on Onesimus' behalf. Do you get this? What a great picture of what Christ has done for us. Amen? We owe a debt that we cannot pay. And sometimes we, we say, you know what? I want them to, listen, they took such and such away from me or they did this to me. They need to make restitution. And friends, a truly repentant heart will come and try to do that. But friends, there are often things we do that we cannot rectify fully. We can't pay back fully. We cannot pay for our sins on our own. Therefore, Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. What a great picture here in in, in this story of Paul offering to pay the penalty for Onesimus' wrongs. You know what Onesimus did here? What Paul did is really hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to swallow our pride and to admit that we are wrong. It's hard to ask for forgiveness, right? It's, it's hard to offer to make things right. And the reason it's so hard is because it fights against the very fiber of our being. Men especially have problems with this. Ladies, many of you already know. We have problems saying, I was wrong. Are the hairs on the back of our neck stand up? Sometimes it's so difficult for us to say that. And it's not until God gets a hold of our heart. Not until God changes our attitude. Not until we humbly submit ourselves to him. Naturally, naturally speaking, we resist putting ourselves at somebody else's mercy. Naturally speaking, it's against our nature to admit to anyone that we're wrong. Friends, if that's the case, then why in the world would we ever, ever, ever intentionally let someone else have the upper hand? Why would we do that? If it, it's so hard, it's so different. A lot of times we don't, but why would we ever do that? Friends, because life is a paradox. Life is a paradox. Jesus describes it as such. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who, what? Humble themselves will be exalted. You see, here's the temptation in relationships. The temptation is when there's a problem or something's wrong or whatever, is to demand that somebody else treat us better. When one person demands that the other person treats them better, usually it is responded in the same way. Well, you don't treat me too well either. And what happens? Boom, 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 right? Two people end up butting heads. And what happens? It ends up broken relationships. Uh, So uh, demanding that doesn't do any good. But here's what Scripture calls us to do. Here's what Scripture says. Scripture says instead of demanding that the other person treats you that way, what, what, what does Scripture say? Submit yourself one to another. Serve the other person. So let's take this in a marriage relationship, husband and wife. 
and, and maybe you're at odds and, and, and one person feels one way and one person feels the other and you won't budge and boom, 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 right? What does Ephesians 5 say? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so and instead of demanding that she do this and she do that, friends, uh, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, submit yourself to her, put her first. And then as we talked about last week, that love should do what? It should draw her into the type of relationship Then it draws her into a submission as well. And instead of both of you button heads and demanding and demanding, you end up submitting to each other and both of you get what you wanted to start with anyway, but it comes in a totally different way than you ever thought it would come. Not through pride and arrogance, but through humility and service. Life is a paradox, friends. We need to be willing to submit ourselves to one another and when necessary to make amends. Friends, that leads us right into the fourth and final component of of, of the attitude that we need to have in order to repair relationships, to, to build healthy relationships, and that is this, friends. It is a longing to see good come out of bad. A longing to see good come out of bad. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 15. He says, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. So what Paul's doing here is saying to Philemon, listen, yes, he departed, he left, he ran off. But could you consider that maybe he left for a reason that he would come back and receive him forever? Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Friends, Paul is challenging Philemon to look past the offense to see how God used this whole situation to bring about good. Yes, Onesimus ran away. Yes, he stole from you, Philemon. But look how God brought good out of a bad situation. Now he's a child of God. And if you will receive him, you will be brothers forever. See, it kind of changes that whole relationship, throws it on his head. Friends, here's what we need to realize. Unfortunately, many times relationships are messy. Amen? Relationships are messy. Guess what? You're going to get hurt. There are going to be offenses. Friends, but God can bring good out of any difficult situation. Amen? God can do it. If you will surrender it to him, if you will give it over to him, starting with your own life first, and then praying for the other person. Here's the problem. I believe too often we are content with broken relationships. We're okay that a relationship is broken and damaged and distant. It may not even bother us that we haven't talked to a person in X number of years. It, in fact, we may even be glad we don't have to see them. I didn't like their attitude anyway. And we justify this in our minds and we say, okay, then, then you know what? I'm okay with that. Friends, but here's what I want to say. If that's the case, if that's where you are, friends, you need to surrender your hardened heart to the Lord. You need to ask God to get a hold of your heart. We need to ask God for a change of heart, friends, because God is not happy with broken relationships in our life. He's not happy with it. You see, Jesus died 
so that our relationship, our broken relationship with God can be reconciled. Jesus died to reconcile us to God, friends, and he died to reconcile us to each other. So for us to remain with broken relationships is not honoring to our Lord. It's not becoming of a child of God. I don't know about you, but when, um, when something breaks in my house, I go, oh, not again, right? It always seems like something is breaking. Um, and so this next little illustration is a little bit of a conviction on myself, okay? So I'm just going to tell you that up front. <laughs> but, you know, when something breaks in your house, you know, the kitchen faucet breaks, you go fix it, right? Or you call somebody to fix it. Um, but... But what if you don't go fix it? What if the kitchen faucet breaks and you don't fix it? And, 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 and an outlet breaks and you don't fix it? And the toilet breaks and you don't fix it? And, and the door won't shut and you don't fix it? And, and, and the concrete uh, gets cracked outside and you don't fix it? What happens if you just don't fix these things? You don't fix these things. You don't fix these things. Pretty long, before long, it's, it's not long before you end up just with a whole broken house, Right? You've got a mess on your hands. And friends, unfortunately, our lives are the same way. If we don't work to repair relationships, again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you hadn't been here, as much as depends upon us, I understand there are times at which we've done everything we can and the other person is just not reciprocating. That's when it's time to pray, friends. Amen? That's when it's time to pray. Friends, but as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men, love others. Remember, we talked about that illustration. We got to put on love, amen, and let it work. Put on love. We got to show love. We got to demonstrate love to others and continue to let it work. But here's what I believe the problem is many times. It's the same problem the leadership coach Fred said. It's our attitude. It's our attitude. Friends, We're called to go to that person and do everything we can to work things out. We're called to forgive that person. We're called to humble ourselves, friends, but too many times pride gets in the way. So I want to simply ask you this morning. Here's our invitation this morning. Would you ask God what areas of your life and in what relationships Pride is keeping that relationship from being all that it needs to be. Would you confess your pride to him? Would you ask him and allow him to come into your heart and change that? Lord, take that pride away. Give me a soft heart. Give me a gracious heart. Give me a heart that cares about the other person. Give me a heart of love. Friends, that only starts if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen? If you're here this morning and you've never received his love, then all this may be seem a little foreign to you. You see, the reason we can love others is because Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. While we were still hating on God, he loved us so much that he died for us. And then what we need to do is simply receive him into our life. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. And I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. That's where it starts. And friends, if you're here this morning and and you don't have that relationship, 
right now you can make that right with him? Would you put your faith and trust in him? Would you ask him just to come into your life? Lord Jesus, come in. I believe you died for me and rose again, and I want you in my life. And then we need to let him do his work in us. Let him take the pride away. So today, would you admit that? And would you confess it to God? And would you ask him to remove it from your life? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, for Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, when we didn't deserve it, we were still sinners. You died for us. Lord, help us to not demand our rights, to not think that others owe us something, or how dare they treat us this way. Lord, help us to realize that those types of attitudes is pride bound up in our heart. Lord, bring us to a point of of repentance and sorrow over that and true remorse. Lord, we admit that that's wrong. We admit that it does not please you nor help in our relationships. So Lord, forgive us for our pride. Give us a heart of humility and graciousness where we, where we, we want the other person to win, where, where we're willing to submit ourselves to others, where we long for you to do something really unique in bringing good out of a bad relationship. Lord, do a work in our hearts today. We ask you, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.